inspiring action. You're tuned in to the all-new Action One Network. Turn up your volume. Inspiring action. You're tuned in to the all new Action One Network. Turn up your volume. guys um so promo text you know gotta do some of that all right today who am i shenga uh sg2 on space episode number 52 at the lovely action one media group studio as you can see behind me the lovely banner here so sg2 on space as i like to say it's the only weekly space radio show here in, in Houston, Texas, um, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, live, okay? And you can follow me or follow the show at facebook.com slash The Shen Show or on YouTube, just look up SG2 on Space. All right, and Action One Media, you can check it out, weareA1.com. So as noted, uh, today I want to talk about Venus and Mars. Actually, I have not said that, but... I'm saying it now. We're talking about Venus and Mars. Uh, but before we get started, I actually want to go over some calendar of events that's happening, as I typically go through. So very briefly, and these I've mentioned last time. So New Worlds Conference at Austin, Texas, all right, which is not too far away from Houston. Or maybe you're listening and you're already in Austin. So New Worlds 2019, Friday, November 15th at 8 a.m. until Saturday, November 16th at 1 a.m. Um, if I was a woman, I would definitely have signed up because it's free for ladies. Clearly, they want to promote female attendance, uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, you pay some money. So essentially, what is it? It's scientists, experts, engineers, artists, musicians, basically, you know, the, the creative minds all come together and talk about the future of space. Uh, with their respective talents, right? So, you know, debate challenges and solutions to the what we currently face in space. Oh, yeah, entrepreneurs as well, of course. So, 
Astronauts will also be present. Tell us what it's like out there. Artists will show what it's going to be like tomorrow. So imagine the future, right? Makers,、uh, inventors, and people who you know create things will show what they're making for the future. And entrepreneurs will talk about you know what they're doing in terms of advancing the future of our species and spaceflight. So. This is going to be quite interesting.、Um, I would highly suggest you go if you have the time. And、um, the, the, I, I would think that's the only thing that's really stopping you—the time.、Um, so that would be tomorrow. And、uh, assuming you're watching this live, that's that's November fifteenth, starting at eight o'clock, all the way until Saturday, November sixteenth, at one a.m.、Um, so it's it's quite it's like two days, and it's located at the Bullock、uh, Texas State History Museum on eighteen hundred Congress Avenue. This is in Austin, Texas. The foundation that is organizing it is called Earthlight Foundation.、Uh, so check it out. You can go to earthlightfoundation.org/new. Worlds, two W's in the middle. All right. So the other thing,、um, we got a summit on space innovations conference. <clears throat> This is at Georgia Institute of Technology. That's actually my alma mater. I went there for my undergrad, Georgia Tech. And this is located at the Marcus Nanotechnology Research Center, a place that I'm not terribly familiar with, but、um, it's three four five First Drive, Northwest F E R S T. And this conference is completely free. I would say if you're in Atlanta, which is my hometown, kind of wish I could go. But anyways,、uh, it's next Monday, so the Georgia Tech is partnering with the industry, and this is the third annual space.、Um, Oh, sorry. Symposium on Space Innovations, which highlights recent innovations in space science and technologies. So, what it's going to have is going to have a bunch of technical presentations, panel discussions, and guest speakers. All right.、Uh, so, you know, if you want to go, then go. It's just one day. Spaceinnovations.org. You can go there to find more information. All right. Another one coming up. If you want to hop across the pond. Uh, Atlantic Ocean, to be exact. You can be in the United Kingdom, at Leicester, L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. There's a unconference there called Space Up Leicester,、uh, 2019. That's on Saturday, November 16th. So two days from now, if you're listening to this live. And what is Space Up? It is an unconference, so it's a user-generated conference. In other words, if you want to talk, you can go up on stage. Just sign up for a spot, right? All, atten atten all attendees can give a demo, present a talk, or participate in panel roundtable, and the cost to attend is only twenty-five dollars. So, if you're a, I don't know, have an entrepreneurial spirit and hate these, maybe not hate, but you know, want to actively participate without the need to be selected to be on a panel or a paper. And just have a more casual chat with other like-minded people. This might be a good one for you. All right. So this one, you can find out more information at spaceuplichester.org.uk. That is spelled S-P-A-C-E-U-P-L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R.org.uk. So、uh, this is the second time the city has done that. So they were successful last year, so they're doing it again, which might be quite a cool thing to go to, right? And then、uh, closer into home, if you're you know based in Houston, Texas, is SpaceCom. So SpaceCom is the largest space conference in Houston and one of the largest in the country. So SpaceCom 2019 is advertised where、uh, commercial, basically America's commercial space conference and exposition. So it's taking place November 20th to 21st. 
at the George Brown Brown Convention Center, which is right in downtown Houston. Um, So what is happening there? Well, there's a couple of U.S. departments, including Department of Commerce. Apparently, Department of Commerce has an Office of Space Commerce now. Uh, So Department of Commerce, obviously NASA is involved, and Department of Energy's Office of Technology Transitions all going to be there, so joining uh, the commercial space industry in, you know, developing this program. So, um, you know, you can attend and essentially engage with people in R&D, engineers, scientists, so on and so forth. There's all, they also have a entrepreneurial panel, so if you, yeah, uh, event, so if you're, you know, you could do startup pitches if you're uh, selected, which is kind of cool. The Spacecom Entrepreneur Summit. There's also a Global Spaceport Alliance. Uh, so that is Commercial Spaceport Summit. So there's a lot of new spaceports coming up, right? For instance, Ellington Spaceport here in, well, close to Houston, Texas, right? Uh, there's also NASA theaters. Uh, so they're all, all 10 NASA centers are going to have people talking about their upcoming missions, which is pretty interesting. Um, I would highly suggest going if you have the time. And remember, the exhibition hall, that's actually another thing. That, with over 100 plus exhibitors, that's actually free to attend. So you could just simply sign up and go to the exhibition hall if you don't want to pay anything or don't have the time to stay for all the the talks, right? So uh, quite quite something here. Um, on a very much a lighter note, I found this at the some coffee shop actually close by, um, and this is completely just for fun. Um, there is apparently a gingerbread build off in space at Architecture Center Houston. So uh, apparently over, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like sweet stuff. There's gingerbread, right? So in honor of the Apollo moon landing, which by the way, was celebrated 50 year anniversary this year, right? The gingerbread build off will have a special competition category named gingerbread in space. So it's gonna attract over 4,000 spectators. Um, This is gonna be on December 7th from 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. I guess it takes people seven hours to build these gingerbread houses or spaceships which is amazing. <laughs> so where is it? It's at Houston City Hall's Herman Square, located in 900 Bagby Street, Houston 77002. Um, and you can find out more information at aiahouston.org. That's aiahouston.org, okay? So may- maybe just go check it out. I might go. So. With that, uh, I think we're going to have to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk about Mars, and then after that, talk about Venus. some of the other things you got going on. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for having me. I feel like uh, I'm in the presence of like celebrity. It's just a shades, man. It's just a shades. So I think like 2000. 
Growing up as a black kid in New Jersey, all I ever wanted to do was be a pro athlete. All of my role models were black athletes. And every time I would stare out the window and look at the sky and wonder what I'd be in the future, it always had to do with me catching some crazy football and, and scoring a touchdown. When it came to the point that I was told that I would not be able to play on an organized sports team for the rest of my life, it was something that I really didn't even know how to stomach in the moment. And I remember walking out of my cardiologist's office and just sitting in the hallway and breaking down for a few minutes just because it, it, it was something that I just couldn't plan for and couldn't account for. And I realized that in that moment, my entire life was going to be changed. And all of those dreams and, and hopes and aspirations that I had were going to go out of the window. SAM stands for the Sample Analysis at Mars Instrument Suite. It's really one of the most complex analytical chemistry laboratories ever sent to the surface of the Red Planet. It's been miniaturized to fit right into the body of the Mars Science Laboratory Curiosity rover. One of the major goals of the Mars Science Laboratory mission is to search for habitable environments in Gale Crater. And by habitable environments, what I'm talking about are environments that could have supported life. So there are several pieces of big news that, that Sam has found. The first is the discovery of methane. Now methane has been found previously in the Martian atmosphere by both Earth-based telescopes and space-borne orbiters. But this is the first time that we've actually seen a sharp increase and decrease in the abundance of methane in the atmosphere in Gale Crater. What this really means is that present-day Mars is an active environment. Now at this point, we don't know the origin of this methane. It could be biological, from maybe methanogenic bacteria deep in the subsurface releasing methane, but there are non-biological explanations as well, such as water-rock interactions in the subsurface that could also produce the methane signals that we're seeing. The second exciting discovery from SAM is the detection of Martian organic compounds. We found several different types of organic molecules, including chlorinated alkanes and chlorobenzene, compounds that are not common on Earth, in a mudstone that was deposited in an ancient lake bed environment in Gale Crater. This is a really exciting discovery because we've been looking for organic compounds for decades on the surface of Mars, and this is the first time that we've actually found Martian organic material in the surface. Now, at this point, we don't have enough evidence to tell us whether or not the organics we're finding are biological or non-biological in origin. There are several viable non-biological explanations, including this organic material could have come down from space, from meteorites or comets, or organics can be formed by geological reactions in the rock itself. Now, what's exciting about this discovery is it gives us new hope in the search for chemical evidence of life. We found the organic material. Now the next step is trying to figure out what its origin is. So in addition to the measurements made by SAM on Mars, we've had to do hundreds of laboratory experiments back on Earth to simulate the conditions on the surface of the red planet in order to convince ourselves that the organic material we were detecting by SAM was really Martian in origin and not something that we had brought with us to Mars.
So although at this point in the mission we can't conclude that there was definitively life on Mars, the SAM discoveries have really shown us that all of the basic ingredients for life were there, including complex organic compounds, the building blocks of life. Now with the detection of organics in Gale Crater, the probability that Gale Crater Lake could have supported life goes up. All right, so uh, you are listening to S or watching SG2 on Space uh, by your host, Shenga, episode number 52. So today we've been talking about what we will be talking about, Venus and Mars. Prior to this, I introduced um, the latest events that's happening in the area and internationally. Before I start, though, I forgot to mention that please support me at patreon.com slash sg2 on space. I would highly like that because I actually need to pay money for this. So and, you know, prepare for it. Right. So patreon.com slash sg2 on space. That would be wonderful. Uh, with that, <clears throat> before I start out, I figured I would actually read a poem from my book. And this is the latest book that I wrote called Requiem, colon, the, oh, I don't need to say colon, Requiem, the space between words, um, Requiem, the space between words. And I wrote a poem a little while back on Mars. So I'm going to read it briefly and then go into actual science because I happen to like both poetry and the arts as well as science. So why not? All right. Mars. The sun ducks behind horizon's curtain. The residents of the night sky slowly arise. You, red dot of the night, rightfully stands. Before, we thought you divine, untouchable in high realm of gods. Now, we believe you cold and dead, barely reachable in vacuum of space. Soon, we shall reveal your true self, your red rocky soil, firmly planted into our feet all right so you know i think that's take what you like out of it um funny thing is i mentioned in the poem that mars is dark and not dark what is it lifeless and dead but of course we know that may not be the truth at all right so you guys just saw this video and what did it indicate it indicated that mars um you know methane discovery right and that was a few years back so methane, you know, is is needed for life. Well, it's a signature of life, let's just say. So first there was methane. Now, what that video did not go into, because this is breaking news this week, um, is that there's another possible biosignature gas that's acting weird on Mars. Can you guess what it is? Mm. All right. The answer is oxygen. So oxygen seems like that would be a bright product of life right um once again this is due to nasa's curiosity mars rover all right so uh you know as the video have has indicated uh, <clears throat> previously the methane la methane levels in the 96 mile wide or in other words if you use metric units 154 kilometer gale crater uh rise significantly during the summer months and, and that concentration of the gas have spiked dramatically over the last few years for unknown reasons. Now, the six-wheel robot, Curiosity, has observed something similar with oxygen. Okay, 
So, well, <clears throat> Uh, this came courtesy of Curiosity's sample analysis of Mars instrument, which is a small chemistry lab that the rover carries on its body. All right. So the team has been using SAM, um, SAM, sample analysis of Mars, to characterize the red planet's atmosphere, right? Um, so this new study published on November 12th in the Journal of Geophysical Research Planets, uh, it provides a detailed look at the SAM atmospheric measurements from 2012 to 2017. So, uh, what did we discover? Well, for Gale Crater, which is where Curiosity is, uh, it is 95% carbon dioxide by volume, 2.6% molecular nitrogen, 1.9% argon, 0.16% molecular oxygen, and 0.06% carbon monoxide. Not terribly surprising by these numbers, right? However, what is surprising is that the team found that the oxygen levels don't follow the same seasonal patterns as those other gases. The oxygen actually rises considerably higher than predicted in the spring and summertime and then falls below expected levels during the Gale Crater winter. Why is that the case? Who knows? Um, as one of the co-authors, Atreya, Sushil Atreya, S-U-S-H-I-L, last name A-T-R-E-Y-A. He's a professor of climate and space sciences at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, a very good university, by the way. Uh, he said this is extremely mind-boggling, all right? The first time we saw that, it was just mind-boggling, just quoting him directly. So, researchers double-checked Sam's accuracy, and they determined there's nothing wrong with the instrument. So, what is going on here, right? Um, well, theoretically, these oxygen increase could result from the splitting of carbon dioxide or water molecules in Mars' atmosphere. But it would take five times more water in the air that's been observed to make this happen, right? So, that, that doesn't seem like it would be a viable answer. Um do we actually have a viable answer? We do not really. Now, you might be thinking at this point that, oh, well, guess what? We have discovered life on Mars, Mars microbes, right? Well, not necessarily. There could be a geological process that's responsible. Um, you know, both methane and oxygen can be produced by abiotic processes as well. Abiotic means non-biological, all right? Curiosity, unfortunately, the rover, is not equipped to determine whether these sources are produced by living creatures. But more data could possibly shed light on this, all right? And I only hope that will happen because, as with many of us, I'm very curious on whether, you know, whether there's life on Mars. I mean, that's one of the greatest challenges, not greatest challenges, greatest mysteries. Um, and I think if we can figure that out, it could change the whole perspective, even if it's just simple life, right? If we discover life on Mars, that would change her whole perception of where life could be in this world. Um, speaking of life on Mars, I actually want to mention or talk about here that um, there are some, there are a few scientists that believe that we've already found life on Mars and that we just didn't recognize it. So Gil Leving, G-I-L, that's his first name, and then last name, L-E-V-I-N. He was a principal investigator for the Viking lander. So that was 
the first significant lander on the Martian surface back in the 70s, right? So he believes that Viking back in the 70s with the labeled release experiment has already shown that life exists on Mars. So that experiment was designed to detect carbon dioxide in the Martian soil as a result of microbial metabolism, right? So after Viking has collected the soil, it was spiked, quote-unquote spiked, with a set of organic nutrients, including amino acids, and then they measure it, right? So the measurements observed was roughly the same as what you would expect if life were present. In other words, this life was devouring the amino acids. However, most scientists concluded that this released carbon dioxide from you know these amino acid reactions were due to inorganic reactions rather than um, than organic not organic than life basically. All right. So now back then, scientists thought there was no organic molecules at all on Mars. Now, of course, we know there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot of water, and there's a whole lot of other organic compounds, right? Um, so according to Levin, uh, he thinks that there are, you know, bacteria or some kind of primitive life on there, and that that was a reason why these carbon dioxide was generated, not just due to inorganic uh, reactions. So since then, you know, we've sent a bunch of rovers to Mars, but none of them have actually been precisely able to um, assess whether it's due to life or not. So what would be really interesting um, and this dives into biology a bit, which is not my strong point, but I I actually really do like biology up to a point. So, you know, amino acids <clears throat> for life is split into left-handed and right-handed compounds, okay? So, um, life on Earth, with very few minor exceptions, only uses L-amino acids. Now, why is that? So, actually, first of all, um, What's the difference between L-amino acids and R-amino acids? The only difference is that they are uh, mirror images of each other. So really, there is no like scientific reason why we are using L, why we have more of one type of amino acid than the other, right? Why is that the case? Nobody knows. But on Earth, at least, in our life, in our life, in our world, uh, most life are L-amino acids. So um, if you have, say, L-amino acid-dependent life form, it can only consume and digest L-amino acid, other L-amino acid, L-amino acids, right? So what would be an interesting test here is that if we take, if we, if we take a bunch of left-handed um, L-amino acids and equal number of R-amino acids, take, put that, take like a batch of L, L-amino acids, take a batch of R-amino acids, same amount, dump it in two different containers of soil, and see what kind of reactions come out. Detect how much carbon dioxide come out. Now, if this is purely inorganic process, what is going to happen? Well, purely inorganic process is not going to distinguish between L or R amino acids, so you will get roughly the same amount of carbon dioxide as your result. However, if you have a discrepancy between the two, then then that could be a very strong indication there's actual microbial life on Mars or some kind of organic life form, which would be amazing. I don't know why this hasn't been done yet, but I think it really should be. So um, and it doesn't seem it would be that hard to do, really.
you can do a chemical lapse here. So why not? Um, I'm hoping that the I don't think this is going to happen, but Mars 2020, and this goes into you know future missions coming up a little bit. All right, so Mars 2020 guys is coming up, right? Uh, there's actually so what it, Mars 2020 is the next na part of NASA's Mars exploration program. So it's planned to be launched on July 17th, 2020. So approximately. You know, less than a year from now, really. So it's going to touch down the Jezero, Jezero, J-E-Z-E-R-O crater on Mars on February 18th, 2021. And it is, it hopefully, it's going to assess, see if there's life and all, there's always stuff like that. I'm not quite sure exactly what scientific instruments are on here. Um, perhaps I would do a show on that, actually, and discuss it. Maybe I interview somebody who actually works on this, actually. But maybe that would provide some kind of... Um, answer to this all right the other significant uh lander that's going to go on mars is actually from the chinese which is going to be the first chinese mars lander ever and they just did a um it's 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 pretty cool uh it just hit a major milestone today so in fact by today i mean november 14th 2019 uh, actually china has just done successful drop test so um that this is the <clears throat> so this is going to be uh next year and it's going to be a 2020 launch um not exactly sure when but that is really cool i am quite looking forward to whatever result uh, comes from that i mean any kind of exploration mission i think it's a good thing to support that's my perspective um so all right and I think I could go on about Mars, but really I also want to talk about Venus, okay? So, um, you know, I've had to, just, just a note, guys, if you listened to the previous two episodes uh, last week and the week before, I had uh, Leonard Kramer on. Um, in fact, he seems to be a regular these days, at least for part of the show. So, um, Leonard, are you on? Woohoo! Yep. All right, Leonard. So... Um, yeah, so L Leonard has a is, is a very interesting character. I'm just going to describe you as that. Um, how would you characterize yourself? <laughs> curious character. That's how you would say it? All right, he's a curious character. Okay. Well, uh, just a quick background for Leonard. He, he works at Boeing. Um, he does GNC stuff. He also paints and apparently does like 10 million other things. Um, but a renaissance he's a renaissance man. Exactly. So, um, every, what's that? I'm into steampunk. He's also into steampunk. Um, and, and also, uh, Pokemon, apparently Pokemon go and apparently. So speaking of uh, Pokemon, do you have you heard of uh, Ven Venusaur? Venusaur? Yeah. Venusaur. Venusaur. <laughs> I don't know where that name came from. I guess it looks like a Venus flytrap. Um, which I, yeah. I actually, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Vena Venusaur. I just thought it was funny. All right. So. so um, well, I, I figured, you know, you, I was going to talk about lightning, but uh, that seems like the least interesting topic when it comes to Venus. Um, so, <clears throat> do, do well, you... Well, it, it, it does, I, I do have something to do with, with it, but I'd rather not talk about it. It, it was a, it's a painful story, so... 
Are another you... time. Okay, sure. But go on. All right, sounds good. Um, so let's let's talk about you know in order of our um, order of topics. Let's talk about the the spacecraft, the Stingray spacecraft that's going to go on the far side of Venus. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? Did you were you able to? Um, what's what's your perspective? You think that works? You know, I don't, it, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's good. It, it's not something that I would have picked. It seems too complicated. More too liable to uh, to to fail. I think you're better off with an airship uh, in 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 that regard. You know, some some kind of some kind of uh, propeller driven uh, airship. I don't I don't know that I don't understand. So what what was described in the in the article were these <clears throat> bird like prey like things that that would uh, flap their flap wings. Or flat fins and be able to have be highly maneuverable, but right. I don't know that I, I don't know that there's that much. Uh, uh, yeah, right, exactly. That it wouldn't be that useful. Um, you know, the, what what would what is the what's the utility of that other than to demonstrate that you can fly around like a stingray? And then the other thing, the other cold water I want to throw on it is like there there was they were mentioning flying on the dark side of the mysterious dark side well there's nothing mysterious <laughs> nothing particularly mysterious about the dark side i i mean every planet has you know <laughs> it's, it's night right the, the neat thing about venus is that you know it, it rotates much slower right than the earth i think it rotates uh it's the a day on venus is about 250 40, I want to I say 243 days. So you are and, absolutely correct, Leonard. It is 243 yeah. days to rotate, while the orbit time is and, 225 days. Right. It rotates the opposite direction from all the other planets. I've always found uh, that kind so, of weird. Um, so a day a, on Venus is longer than a year, just for our listeners' sake. Um so, so Leonard, you're saying there's really nothing terribly uh, that would be different on the dark side, and also that that the stingray configuration is just too complicated. Yeah, because yeah, I think it's too complicated. But I, you know, I, I'm all about you know flying things there. But and uh, about 30 years ago, in the mid 80s, there were two Russian probes that dropped balloons mm-hmm. in the uh, in atmosphere, and um, they were at elevated, you know, they were elevated where the atmosphere is cooler. So, you know, I guess most, most of, most of your listeners, watchers, mm-hmm. uh, know that, that the, the temperature at the surface of Venus is very hot, but the temperature in the atmosphere, it's what they call adiabatic equilibrium. This is convective, mm-hmm. it's convective equilibrium. So hot, hot gas will expand and rise and reach an equilibrium. And that happens in the Earth's atmosphere too, so it's cooler at the higher altitudes. Um, but I, I guess the reason that I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not. It, it, the, the article made this point about, well, you know, the planet rotates slowly, so that had something to do with, with, you know, long periods where 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 it was in darkness. But in fact, the atmosphere is rotating very very quickly, so it's rotating. Almost like a quote, like a conventional, a conventional rotation of the planet, and so that's the thing that you'd be looking at, and it's rotating. 
It's um, kind of uh, interesting physics about why uh, mm-hmm. planetary atmospheres rotate faster than the, the planet itself. All planets do that. All the terrestrial planets do that. Right. The atmosphere so, rotates. Yeah, that makes sense. Like our the our atmosphere, you're saying, moves faster than Earth rotation. Uh, like just taking it, an example of uh, our case. Okay. Right. And so some some of your listeners might be wondering, well, how does that work? Because if the atmosphere is rotating, then how come it doesn't make the planet speed up? Um, and so that's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to explain that, but that's fine. So... But for for our listeners' actually sake, I mean, we we can always talk about. Let's just provide some backdrop. Yeah, Venus has a extremely hot temperature on the surface, which is one reason why um, a lot of exploratory missions these days have been focused on, say, Mars rather than Venus. So Venus has a temperature of almost 900 degrees Fahrenheit, which for people who use Celsius is about 480 degrees Celsius. Uh, and it also has sulfuric acid, and I believe its atmospheric pressure is like 90 times that of Earth on the surface. So in other words, you would be melted and completely crushed, and uh, and you will be exposed to acid. Uh, so it, 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 you know, you'll be dead. Or <clears throat> but, so. Um, <laughs> having said that, and uh, 30 years ago, the Russians landed um probes there that operated for the better part of an hour and actually took photographs of the surface so you know it it, 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 all this has been done a long time ago right so um given the rather hellish landscape uh you know the, the there's been less interest in possibly colonizing venus however um there is possibility of actually settling on the clouds of venus which is the main thing that i want to bring up here um so yeah. as as yeah go ahead leonard i think it's cool I mean, it's 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 a neat it's a neat it's a neat concept uh, because as as i as i mentioned um higher in the atmosphere the temperature is 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 uh you know cooler so and and um, I think that we probably could build, um, you know, ships that could fly around, and if they're powered uh, by uh, solar energy, mm-hmm. uh, they could they could operate indefinitely, um, you know. So it's an interesting idea. Yeah. So the idea here, those, go ahead. Yeah, the idea is that you would have some kind of uh, uh, um, balloon or airship, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? For that would that would uh, fly in the um, uh, in the planet's uh, atmosphere, and that it, it you could have it uh, um, personed. You know, you could have people stay there and and make uh, measurements and observations and 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 so forth. Uh, the challenges are not um, it's not beyond uh anything i don't see any technical challenges to that the atmosphere has has sulfuric acid corrosive uh uh droplets in it um but that's something that can be dealt with the temperature would be at the same pressure Mm -hmm. as earth in the atmosphere the temperature would be uh about 30 or 40 degrees C higher, which is pretty hot. 
than it is on Earth, but that's not anything that that we couldn't that couldn't be uh, uh, dealt with um, technically with means yeah. of cooling and insulation and so forth. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have the technology to deal with that level of temperature. Um, not not just yeah. So and as far as sulfuric acid goes, uh, I was reading about it. And did you know that Teflon could actually protect you from sulfuric acid? That that yes, I thought definitely. was really interesting. Like the 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 Teflon, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it apparently uh, does not react with sulfuric acid, so it could actually hold it. So. Um, in fact, on Earth in chemistry labs, uh, you, you you can use Teflon materials to hold sulfuric acid. So, which is yeah. so we could they, use that. They wouldn't have acid when I was in, when yeah. I was so, I, I, I was made a mess of it in chemistry. But. Ah, okay, all right. <laughs> hey, uh, we're gonna have to take a short little break. We're gonna come back, uh, perhaps watch a short little video, and then I want to go and talk about really weird things. All right. Oh, can I stay? Can I? All right, can stay I, on. Can I stay? You can stay on. We're taking a short break. Okay. Man, you still here? Go on and subscribe. Get in action. Yo, we back at it again, baby. Get in action. Tell me what is the deal, tell me what is the deal. So I challenge you today to start strong. back here sg2 on space episode number 52 at the action one media studio follow me facebook.com slash the shin show support me patreon.com slash sg2 on space so today we've been talking about venus and mars or rather started with mars not talking about venus and we have on uh, excuse me we have on <clears throat> the air uh, Leonard Kramer, who has been with us for the last two shows as well. Um, so, Leonard, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. Um, so, you want to talk more about Venus or talk about aliens? <laughs> well, I can 
talk about anything. <laughs> Let's see. What do we talk about? Oh, the other thing about the rotation rate. Yeah, go um, ahead. It, um, all of, a lot of the planets uh, have, and, and moons in the solar system are gravitationally uh, in gravitational resonances with each other. And Venus in particular has a, ha that rotation rate seems mm -hmm. to be connected to the Earth's orbit. So that, hmm. and I don't know the exact ratio, but as it goes around a certain number of times, then the face of Venus, then uh, at, at, in a certain in a certain number of uh, uh, rotations, then exactly faces the Earth. Really? So there's a there's a resonance there. Mercury has a resonance uh, <clears throat> that uh, its rotation rate. Every it's and I don't know the exact. You have to look it up, but I actually uh, just Mercury looked it up. Is, is connected to the sun in the same way, so that it's a very elliptical orbit. You know, elliptical like right. it's a like a football shaped uh, uh, orbit. Um, it it uh, faces the sun uh, every third orbit, or don't hold me to that, but something like that. Those kind of resonances are all over the solar system, um, and they're very interesting. Uh, so when when you when you define resonances, you're basically saying so. You, like for instance, the Earth-Venus resonance. Uh, I just looked that up, and that is actually eight to thirteen. Um, so okay. you're you're basically saying Earth, say Earth Venus, they Earth affects Venus, Venus ex affects Earth, and then these orbital periods are going to repeat themselves. What what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, it is every well you said it's an eight to thirteen. Yep. So it's something the Earth will rotate around the Sun, will revolve around the Sun thirteen times, and then. Venus will go around eight times, and that and and that in those at, at a certain period, Venus's Venus will face Venus's uh, rotation period will will coincide. In other words, they both they both are at the at a minimum distance over over those kind of resonances, and the rotation rate also is locked to that is to that period. So there's so they're not they're not independent. You know they're they're talking to each other, uh, and they've reached a kind of mutual um, uh, stable uh, resonance uh, relationship. Just like the moon is in resonance with the Earth. I mean, it, its face is always facing mm -hmm. uh, the Earth, and that's a that's like a zeroth order uh, resonance. Um, and those kind of things are all over the solar system. That there's is a, really there's, interesting. There's two. There's two moons. There's two moons of Saturn, I believe, that appear to be a single object that has broken apart, and mm -hmm. they they switch places. They're they're in very close orbits. We we'll have to do some. We have to have better show prep <laughs> on this kind of stuff because it's so cool. It's so amazing. There's two the the Earth Moon resonance, by the way, is uh, one to one. But you, is, is that what? Yeah. So, so that. I that, believe you. Yeah, that's why we're we always see um, just one side of the moon. I believe right. a lot of people people don't know the don't, don't know that, and it's it's really cool. What? Um that, and, mm. and I mentioned that Venus's rotation rate is very slow, and it goes the other way. It's not it's not rotating in the same direction 
as its revolution around the sun. Which is really strange. I wonder why it did that. Yeah. Um, Hey, hey, one more thing, one more thing. mm -hmm. Every place we go in the solar system, we see something different. And that's just blows me away. (laughs) I just... I mean, it, it, it was this big primordial cloud, is, is what they say, and so the mm-hmm. solar system evolved, and, and, and somehow there was some kind of process that caused different things to happen in different parts of the solar system, um, and I don't know. I, it, it, I think it's cool, but... I think that's that is really interesting as well. Um, all this diversity from just a primitive, not a primitive, a primordial, discombobulated cloud. Um, so, discombobulated. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, we are going to move on because I always talk about aliens, because that's what happens. All right. Don't blame you. <laughs> so. Um, apparently there's these UFO, you know, I don't know how you become a UFO expert. I guess you just study enough of them. But anyways, um, there's these UFO expert who claims that the live streaming videos mounted on NASA's ISS, International Space Station, caught a fleet of alien vessels hovering above the ocean on Earth. Now, this expert speculates uh, these vessels may have come from an underwater alien base. Uh, okay, so expert's name is Scott Waring, uh, W-A-R-I-N-G. So he was going through the live feed from ISS cameras, and he came across this footage, right? So he spotted three strange objects that appear to be hovering over the ocean. Based on their appearance, the objects have similar sizes and shapes. And so Waring, Waring, W-A-R-I-N-G, estimated that each of these oval-shaped objects could be about two miles wide. So he concluded that these clouds were flying above the clouds, which clearly indicated that they're not islands. All right. In addition, based on this video, the objects appear to be moving in formation. So these factors led him to believe the ISS live cameras captured a fleet of UFOs. So, um, he says, notice that one of the UFOs is over the cloud, not below the cloud. Um, For for you guys, I'll put up the video later. Uh, Notice that one of the UFOs is over the cloud, not below the cloud. This is 100% proof that these are not islands, but are flying at cloud level. These UFOs are about one to two miles across, and each is perfectly distanced from the other. Um... So these objects might be going, leaving Earth, or may just have been arrived and waiting to submerge. I don't know. So um, so he also said, one thing is clear, a UFO this size cannot hide very well from the ISS live camps, even if they can hide from our primitive radar technology. So, okay. Leonard? Well, let's see it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry. We... Have you have you seen this video? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, Let's it's, see it. It is actually playing right now on my thing, but you you I don't know if you are even watching it, but that's fine. Essentially, um, well, my question for you is just curious. Uh, have you have you noticed um, other previous cases where because there's these UFO experts who who says they see it. this is not the only case. Um, 
have you noticed anything weird or how do you explain stuff like this i don't know okay good answer <laughs> all right i mean i i i, I don't I, know I, yeah yeah fair I enough Chris McKenzie, he's a famous guy what's that what are we looking at i'm looking at like a little in you got an inset web uh on the youtube apparently well, I don't. It's not a YouTube. It looks like it looks like a boiling cauldron of mud. Oh. <laughs> okay. See what? I mean. All right. Oh well. Oh well, that's fine. I I can I can share you the the video later if if that's what it looks like to you. So that's that's fine. Yeah. Suffice it to say, the actual video itself it doesn't look terribly clear. Um, but it, it does it look quite looked. strange. It looks like three like oval discs just just sitting there. So uh, and it is above the clouds, which is weird. So who knows? Um, speaking of also weird, um, there I was going to talk about some weird like UFO shaped hole, but that has a very natural meteorological explanation. So I'm going to skip over that. And actually talk about what uh, Bob Lazar, have you heard of the guy? L-A-Z-A-R? Uh-huh. Yes. You, he you heard of him? Bob Area 51 Lazar? Yep, yep. Okay, so so Bob Area 51 Lazar, I guess that's his nickname. Uh, so for, for listeners here who have no idea what I'm saying, have not watched the latest Netflix show or seen any of his interviews... So Bob Lazar was supposedly a uh, government contractor who worked at Area 51, um, and his job was to re re uh, not re reverse engineer an alien material called Element 115 that he claimed was used to power the alien spacecraft. And so uh, now, if you look up his name on Wikipedia, uh, or or really, you know, yeah. What you would discover is that um, he claims he has degrees from, you know, MIT and Caltech, uh, but there's been no record of him actually having that. Now, now he claims that the U.S. government has waged an all-out covert war against him, so they uh, they erased all of his educational records from Caltech and MIT. Um, How could he? And I, I don't know how they did it, and and you know, um, yeah. So so you know, some people think he's a total quack. Others think the U.S. government actually did it, and some other things. So um, recently, <clears throat> uh, he it, it was quite interesting that there was a raid, so to speak, on his um, his private company called United Nuclear. So he runs this company called United Nuclear Science Equip Scientific Equipment Supplies, which sells a bunch of uh, possibly dangerous materials, including radioactive ores, uh, magnets like aerogel, and a bunch of possibly dangerous lab chemicals. Okay, so uh, the FBI, he says, raided. Him. Have you heard of this, by the way, Leonard? What I'm saying, or is this new? Uh, I, 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 I've, I've encountered uh, stuff having to do with Lazar. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him, but... No, 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 uh, uh, of course. Um, have you heard of his yeah, Element 115? I know you, you said you're not very good at... Wait, did you say you're not good at chemistry? Or 
Are you good? Element 115. I'm good at everything. I'm, I'm just, it's, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> That's such a good answer. Leonard, you're good at everything. So he says, um, you know, there, there's an element called element 115. Now, if you go and look up element 115, you're going to find Moscovium, M-O-S-C-O-V-I-U-M. Um <laughs> Which is not the one that he says is is element 115. He he apparently says element 115 has a capability when exposed to uh, radiation to to start producing anti gravity like ultra gravity, and that's that's how UFOs are flying. And recently, apparently, the FBI uh, they were on some case for uh, what's what's element Th- thallium, T H A L L I U M. There was some case where some folks got poisoned. And he he was oh, the one thallium. who was selling it. Thallium uh, is a dangerous uh, element. Yeah, thallium. But thallium yeah, thallium. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that was a that was a reason that the FBI supposedly came to his place, but he said what happened is that yeah, some of them may have thought this was that, but really it was just a cover for them trying to figure out where he stole, since he said he took some of the element one fifteen. <laughs> so because there were two people that interviewed him. Uh, who seemed to know way more than than the others who were so so it was just weird okay um now did they discover anything no and uh does he does lazar said he's not gonna reveal whether he has it or not so it was all really weird anyway it's really yeah so I'm, I'm waiting for this thing to come out whatever this element is okay if he has if he has thallium that he he did sell thallium as well which we all know i mean that that's pretty it's pretty dangerous um but but he said none of the agents were the least bit interested in thallium which is a weird part but okay for the sake of time um we're gonna have to call this a close so thank you leonard for being on the air and uh providing your very humorous and delightful and interesting insights so all right likewise (laughs) okay all right so with that you guys have been listening to sgt on space this has been episode number 52 uh primarily focused on mars and venus and the possibilities of settling there as well as life um, follow me facebook.com slash the shen show please support me at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sg2 on space thank you everyone and don't forget whatever you do look up because you never know what you will see alright take care everyone peace this is brother Atum Ra and you tuned in to Action One Network peace